I have listened to every episode of Jocko. I try to live every day as the best man I can, just like him. Your podcast was the first one I listened to twice. I know I messaged you the other day. In saying this is just me thanking you. It is selfish for me to say, considering I am still in uniform and everything you and your family went and are going through. But I was going to end it the other day. The day I listened was the day. I went and saw my beautiful daughter, blocked out my demons, and we had a great time making necklaces and her just loving time with daddy. She is my best friend. I just want to say, and I feel selfish considering the last few weeks of what has happened and the worth and why of what happened there had haunted me extremely, but your story saved my life. I have goals and you telling me to live big the other day, set in stone my why on top of my daughter and the greater good of this country, group, and the reason I joined. Thanks, Sarah. I pray for you and your fam. This is one of thousands of DMs Sarah has received since telling Chad's story, her story. Welcome to Glorious Professionals brought to you by GoRuck Media. I'm Jason here with Emily. Our guest today has been here before, our dear friend, Sarah Wilkinson, gold star wife of Navy SEAL Chad Wilkinson, who died by suicide on October 29th, 2018 due to the effects of numerous deployments, TBIs, blast wave injuries, and PTSD. On episode 47 of Glorious Professionals, Sarah shared her story of being born into the military, and continuing that life of service through her husband's 21-year-long career. She continued to tell her and Chad's story when we were on episode 296 of the Jocko podcast. And since then, the outpouring of messages that she has received from those in uniform or their loved ones who are suffering has been moving. We decided to return to this podcast to talk more about this subject of veteran suicide, to spend more time delving into the warning signs and what actions you can take now and as needed, not as formally trained experts, but as individuals who want to reduce the number of veteran suicides. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Appreciate it. It's never easy, I know. We're, we're grateful for, for having you on. First off, let's talk about these messages you've received and continue to receive each and every day. In, in general, what's the vibe? What are people writing you about? Uh, it kind of goes across the whole spectrum. Almost everybody has just been appreciative and grateful for the voice and the platform and for speaking out. But equally, just as many people are reaching out and sharing their struggle. I mean, some people have shared some pretty personal stories with me, you know, just a stranger to them. And I think the overall feeling for those people that are struggling is it's almost like they feel a little validated now. Maybe they feel heard. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think you made yourself very vulnerable when I was sitting there. I was sitting here in this champagne room with you when, when we were here and then in Jocko's room as well. And it, there's an enormous amount of vulnerability that you've, you've put out there. And I think that when somebody responds to that, it's a license that they're not alone. I mean, in a very literal, you know, we say this oftentimes, hey, you're not alone or you'll see it on whatever. And that's different when you read it on a poster or it's, you know, above a 1-800 number that you're supposed to call. But when there's an actual face to it, it's really kind of personal. I mean, I saw this at the chat event last year in Virginia Beach. I mean, everyone was bending your ear. Yeah, I, I never anticipated the reaction to be what it is to be true. I just have been asked to come to different interviews and podcasts and just telling my story because it's true and I've lived it. and 
I'm not afraid to share it. Doesn't mean it's not hard. It is hard. But I pressed forward telling the story. And it wasn't until after Jocko that I even came to understand how touched people would be by it. I just really had no idea. And I was blown away that so many people were kind and receptive and that so many people shared their struggle. And so I sit here and I respond to those messages because people want to be heard and they want to feel validated and they everybody wants somebody to care about them, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. I, th- I think what you're doing, Sarah, is very personal on a very deep level. And I know it must be a burden to have to sort of relive your tragedy every time you go through this with someone. But at the same time, this is a form of service and this is what you decided you wanted to to set out to do, to make it worthwhile, right, in the end, to, to work on that. And I was thinking about how this one story that we shared at the beginning of the podcast, and I think this message in your story would have resonated no matter when we told it. That being said, having the Glorious Professionals podcast followed by the Jocko podcast happen at a very critical moment when everybody was questioning, you know, the last 20 years. I think it was really important that we've already started this conversation, that you've started this conversation, that some people had a a touch point to reach out to. Yeah, I guess the timing is well-placed, maybe. Um, That that obviously wasn't the plan. My plan wasn't to be a suicide widow, but I just felt like I have to speak up. I have to say something. I, I said it last year talking with Jason. I, you know, when you love someone so much and you lose them, it's only natural you want other people to know them. You want to talk about them. You, you wish that more people knew them. And so it organically kind of just led me to start to tell my story. And I think, I guess I always wonder now, what's worse, to lose the person you loved or lose the person that loved you? And I think it's hard to lose the person that you love because you've got nowhere for it to go anymore because that person's not here. And in the back of my mind, I think that's why I've fallen or chose this path because I just, I love him so much. And so I just try to press that forward to other people in my life and try to prevent this from happening to more people and more people suffering. In, in my little circles in the, the aftermath of, of kind of chatting with Jocko, I mean, you know, he gets a couple million downloads per episode. So a lot more people see this and, and listen to it, which is, which is great. That's part of the point. And the guys that are active duty special forces or former special forces, you know, SEALs, SF, whomever, cut from the same cloth. And it is a very, a very critical group of people. That's, it's when everything's life or death, you know? Like every, everyone's critical of everything. And I was also surprised. I, I knew that your story was going to, you were going to do great and your story was going to make its way around. But I got a lot of notes from a lot of guys who, who basically said, hey, that episode is making the rounds in the community. And I, I, I heard a couple stories from guys in the community, people I love and respect who got a lot out of listening to what you had to say. And I think that there's enormous power in that because, you know, you're, you're getting specific in a way that you're holding a mirror up to a lot of people. Chad was not alone. And there are more people like Chad, you know, the unbreakable types. And so let, let's delve in a little bit more into these kind of warning signs or where do you start 
like the warning signs that you observed in Chad and what you've seen and, and gathered from the community since? Oh, that's tricky because I think, I think it, it manifests itself very different from person to person, like many things, right? So, you know, I think the hardest part is when you're talking about specifically this group of people, these top tier men, they're just groomed in a way to fly under the radar. <laughs> so that doesn't help when people who are supposed to be quiet professionals don't speak up and are told to, you know, you just fly under the radar, it goes against them ever speaking up about a struggle they might have. So there's some guys that that have come forward and shared with their spouse or first responder in their life, their struggle, Chad didn't. And for Chad, I think when I really look back, what I see is he got even more reclusive. He's always a real quiet guy. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the guy that just had like tons of friends and went out drinking at the bar and played golf with his buddies. He was kind of a homebody, but that definitely intensified as the years went on. I mean, I remember having conversations. We'd get invited, you know, to our neighborhood barbecue with our neighbors. And there would be times it's like we'd have to have a serious discussion and be like, we need, let's go. We're just going to go for a little bit and we can leave. And so that, that was first, I think. He just became even more antisocial. <laughs> so this is the sort of withdrawn part of it. Now, what? Yeah. Let, let's talk about sleep. Yeah. And and let's talk about sleep over the years. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you hear a lot about CPAPs and you hear a lot about guys taking uppers and downers. I mean, you know, when you're on deployment, you're doing a lot of different stuff to stay up at crazy hours. You're doing a lot of stuff to, I mean, it just becomes a way of life. You're, you're living like a vampire because you're up all night. And then, I mean, you just get very accustomed to doing these kinds of manipulations, if you will, but then you're supposed to come home. And and what was, what was the pattern of life like for, I don't know, however long you want to go back? Oh, I mean, our life was lived a thousand miles per hour. I mean, between he and I, both of our careers were really busy and jam packed and pretty high stress, but his sleep, I know when I think back, he was always a decent sleeper. Like he, he really wasn't this guy from early on that that struggled with solid sleep. However, once he got to his last team and he started doing, you know, more and more deployments, like pretty quick succession of deployments, his sleep got bad. It would either be he'd have a hard time falling asleep. Well, at first it was he could fall asleep, but he wouldn't stay asleep. So time to go to bed, he'd go to sleep, he'd pass out, but he would he would wake up multiple times throughout the night or and then it got to be where he just really had a hard time falling asleep. So he would stay up forever. Um, and he did have sleep apnea. I went and did a sleep study. And, you know, the thing with those is it takes a while to kind of balance it out for the person of what your settings are and what's the best way to use it. He tried Kirk Parsley, who makes something called Sleep Cocktail. It's just a natural remedy. It's almost like a hot drink, like almost like a herbal tea sort. He would drink that before bed. He tried these breathing exercises someone taught him. And I know for those guys, like when they go overseas and they're on long flights, I mean, they pop Ambien and pass out. To my knowledge, he wasn't a strong uh, sleep meds guy, to be fair. You know, he wasn't like popping Ambien every night to go to sleep. He would just suffer. Um, And then he would stay up on his laptop or his iPad. And 
than we would argue because there's this massive glow coming from a screen and I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. He would like twitch a lot in bed, which is weird. So once he would go to sleep, it definitely didn't seem like it was restful sleep because he kind of was, uh, it was almost like he was startled in his sleep. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was just dreams or, you know, whatever his body was going through, but his arms would twitch. Sometimes I would just like put my hand on him in the hopes that that would stop it. So when you've got a guy serving at the level that, that he is, anything that's a threat to your ability to do that job or anything that you perceive in your own brain as weakness, like I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Those are very dangerous thoughts because they're a challenge to your confidence. Mm-hmm. And that job, you have to be confident in order to do. So, you know, it's one of those things. That's why you start hiding stuff is because you're, you're, you're dealing with something and you feel like you can't, you can't deal with it outside of your own privacy or whatever. And obviously you're, you're there in the bed with him. So he can't, can't hide that per se, but like, what is this doing for your interactions with him or whatever you perceive? How is he dealing with the fact that he had to deal with something? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, your guess is almost as good as mine because I feel that in the dark about what he thought. Mm. I mean, they're just, and I've said it before. I mean, I kind of, I know I sit here feeling like, man, I, I really let him down a little bit because I was just kind of going on. We were on this fast train and I was just going through life and I thought I was dealing with my stuff and he's dealing with his stuff. And he just didn't complain about anything ever, never. So it's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to answer that question. I didn't, I don't know. You know, hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty year. I mean, you've spent yeah. probably the better part of the last three years going over all this, the signs and, and things, right? Yeah. And I just, one of my very good friends is here in town. I've been staying with her and her husband and Chad work together. And we were talking the other night and had a conversation about how she shared a story that they had had this very, you know, husband and wife, you're having like a very detailed conversation about things you got to handle with your household. Long conversation. They made some decisions. All right, you're going to do that. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Cool. And the next day he woke up and asked her a question as if he had, he didn't remember the conversation at all. Mm. And when she said that, it made me feel like, holy crap, because that same thing would happen with Chad and I, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd sit there and have a conversation and I, you know, tomorrow our son has a soccer game. We've got to go do this. And then we're going to go here. And the next day, it would be, he'd ask me a question like, uh, does Todd have a soccer game today? Yeah. And you're like, holy cow, do you, where were you? Like, we had a whole conversation. Do you not remember that? Mm-hmm. But again, it's one of those things that you're just like, selective listening? Is that what it is? Because we're spouses and you're just kind of only halfway listening to me. At least at that point in time, I'm not the person sitting there going, man, is your brain okay? Right. It's just not what I was thinking. Well, when should you, when should you, you know, you have the, the unfortunate ability to have this hindsight now. And I know that Chad didn't give you a lot, but as you start to piece all of these things together, whether it's, you know, being withdrawn or the sleep, or it's, you know, a little shorter temper or, you know, increasingly all these things, whether it was, you know, glassy eyed and stuff like that, like how does someone that loves someone, when, when is it? too soon to have a conversation or when is it too soon to ask a question or when is it, how do you approach that now? I mean, I guess it's a question, how do you tell spouses to, 
you know, deal with their husband or, or something along those lines. Yeah, that gets to be a tricky one, too, because, you know, you don't want to make these spouses feel like they have to be on high alert every second. And you're definitely not going to want the guy to have a wife say, are you OK now? Are you OK now? How about now? But I don't think it's ever too early. I don't think that even exists. Like, is it too soon for me to ask him about blast exposure or PTSD or headaches or balance or sensitive eyes or sleep? No, I don't think it's too early to ask. And really, if people are unsure, maybe one option is just to keep kind of like a running list, so to speak, just things that you notice. Mm -hmm. That could be beneficial. Uh, You know, when he mentions that he had a headache for the last three days, that's not normal. When his sleep is bad and consistently bad, I mean, everybody has bad sleep every once in a while, right? Right. Some people probably a little more chronic than others. But, you know, when your person is not sleeping in short fuse consistently, take note of that. Maybe take note of how many hours of sleep they actually do get. Because at least then there's a reference, right? There's a point where you can go back in time and say, okay, I'm starting to notice this stuff. You know, we're talking signs and symptoms, but obviously it leads us to suicide, to Chad's suicide. And for some reason, people don't want to say the word suicide and they don't really want to talk about it. And that's actually the opposite in my belief. Like, I think we should ask people, hey, are you doing okay? Have you thought about taking your life? Asking them doesn't necessarily going to lead them to make that choice. No, that's a myth. Yeah, it's someone being proactive to be like, I see this in you and I'm going to be completely upfront with you right now. And what I'm asking is for you to be upfront with me so that I can, I can look out for you. Mm-hmm. So when you say, have you thought about suicide or have you thought about taking your own life or however you, however someone frames it, what's the difference between some sort of, well, shoot, you just kind of asked me about that. I mean, it, like, I don't think about, <laughs> I don't think about suicide, But if you say, hey, do you think about suicide? Well, now you just asked me a word. I mean, what's the difference between actually thinking about it and and taking it uh, an unhealthy step forward? Oh, that might need to be one for experts. I mean, I think if you're talking to someone you love and care about, I would hope that there's kind of that gut feeling that you get when someone answers, you know, because I'm putting this in the context of someone you're close with. Right. Not just like an any day person you come across. That might be a little forward question. But, you know, your close buddy, your spouse, your brother, it's like, here's someone you love and care about deeply. And I'm going to ask you. And based on your answer, it's going to give me a really good idea on how deep we are in this. You know, or what if they say, yeah, I have. Then my next question would be, have you gone forward to make a plan? Do you think that you have a plan right now of how you're going to carry this out? And I guess not be afraid to ask that question. I think you're right, Sarah. You can't be afraid to ask it. And I think it's one of those situations that someone who has thought about it and actually taken, you know, some steps in their mind to it, it's going to be, it's going to be clear, Jace. Well, within reason, the flip side is that now we're back to talking about who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about tier one operators, right? And, and you know, we, we include the whole military, but I know for Jason and I and, and, and even you, Emily, this is our background, right? This is our, this is our family. Mm-hmm. And these guys are taught how to deceive if they have to. I mean, they have to learn that as a skill should they ever get like caught up overseas, prisoner of war, captured. They need to know how to 
ultimately deceive someone. So the, the, the tricky part about it is if they really wanted to, they could deceive you. Right. Well, what Jason was getting at at the beginning of, of this topic was there's this professional pressure mm. that's both coming from within and externally as well from from the actual organization. I'm going to say that um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I felt it just speaking from my experience, like I could not be vulnerable to anyone where I was working in the field. I didn't have my spouse with me. I didn't have a way to talk to him even securely about anything that would be bothering me and anyone else. It's like, nope, can't show them any sort of, of weakness because the one, you know, it, it could put my job in jeopardy. It could put my, you know, livelihood in jeopardy. And, and I know that that's magnified with someone like Chad and his position and sort of the deployments and the stress that he was under. And that there isn't even a way to even to talk about it, right? It's just like all held up within and, and these, you know, I, I don't know, maybe the there's team room talk about things that are layers beneath that it's like almost in code, but it's, there's this professional presser that they feel that one feels within. And then we all know that if you say, start talking about this kind of stuff, you get grounded pretty quickly and it's, yeah. and it's upsetting. And that's not what, that's not the goal because you're obviously, you know, when you've signed up for this type of service, this is what you want to do and you don't want to be sidelined. You don't want to be grounded. Right. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. All of that. That's totally true. Guys don't want to speak out because they probably fear that it sounds weak. It sounds like a quitter, which are pretty much kryptonite or whatever. There, there's a sense of shame. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and I say this not at a superficial level, right? At the deepest level possible, because you have these self-starters and they're ashamed of themselves for this this feeling of an inability to be who they want to be or who they can be or this weakness, however you process it through your, your head. And that manifests like that will, that will grow. The more unable you are to deal with it, the harder it becomes to deal with it. And so once something becomes very stressful, that stress gets ratcheted up because you start to see, why can't I deal with this? And then that, that's where you just get the types of personalities that, you know, you start hiding it and you don't want to deal with it and stuff like that. And you get this kind of negative, it's, it's really, it's really a vicious cycle. And, and I think that right now where we are is this, this timing of Afghanistan plus, you know, we're naturally in this cycle moving towards Veterans Day chat of, of talking about this even more. It's, suicide prevention month and all these things. It's, it's more top of mind. I think the holidays are more dangerous of a time. However, the, the problem that, that I see is you've got a lot of guys and I say guys, I mean, guys and gals, it's just the, the community that I'm around most of the time is men who are the, the ones serving and you're, you're forced to deal with Afghanistan right now. You're forced to deal with where our country is in that. And you kind of have these these moments of reckoning a little bit, maybe with yourself, maybe you you let your spouse in a little bit, but that's going to go away. And Afghanistan is going to fade from the front pages of the, the the news and stuff. And then there's this kind of, hey, it's going back in the shadows. And I think that that's the more dangerous part because dealing with it, that sounds more productive. 
So how, if you're giving anyone advice, Sarah, I mean, how do you, let's say someone has acknowledged this to themselves or to someone else, someone they love, how do you, how do you actually continue to get better or to continue to talk about this or what, how do we prevent this? <laughs> there's a, there's a really open ended yeah. question for you. Wow. Jason, <laughs> you're hitting me hard. <laughs> how much time do we have? I mean, I, man, I, I have all kinds of ideas. I wish I had the absolute number one answer. You know, it is high on my list and a huge goal of mine to, to honestly change culture, change culture regarding guys just sharing about hardship. I mean, I get it. It's the military and they don't want people running around like a bunch of wine bags. Like that's, that's probably the way they're viewing it, honestly. But we train these people and so physically demanding in the beginning, you know, boot camps and special selections, et cetera, et cetera, very physically demanding. But if you go out and you do some crazy training and you pull or tear a hamstring and you're laid up, you don't continue to keep running on it. You got to wait a while and rehab it. So why is the treatment of like mind and spirit any different for warriors that serve in the military? And that's what needs to be understood. I mean, I want people who have served to recognize, like, you have done our country a huge service. We are free because of the price you and your family paid. That's huge. And I've said it many times before, like, just because you didn't die in action doesn't mean that your service doesn't or didn't potentially come at a cost to you and your family. And I want more people to recognize what these men and women give up to keep us freaking free and what they are going to carry moving forward. And then for those people that are struggling, it's, it's more than just, hey, reach out to a friend. Like, yeah, we want you to talk about it. We want you to feel okay talking about it. There should be a huge level of respect given to the men and women who are willing to step up and say, hey, I had a hard time too. And I think the more that we can create change in that space and men and women just obviously with what they're comfortable with, just share with their fellow uniformed brothers and sisters a struggle, then it might start to become a little more normalized and a little more accepted. And they realize that they're more alike than they are different. And for the people who are caring for them, and I always say spouse or first responder because not everybody's married, whoever your person is, it's almost like you have to look at this veteran and think, okay, I don't know really how to help, but maybe almost think of it as triage. So what are the most astounding, loudest, standout struggles that that person has? Is it sleep? Is sleep the thing that is really like crushing them? Then we need to do everything possible to create, you know, as best habits and give this person good sleep and it's almost like, you know, triage, right? Do I treat the broken leg or the paper cut? I'm going to treat the broken leg first. And then we're just going to have to work down a line. People go down this path all different ways. You know, the military wants to medicate everybody because that's money. So I think there's a lot of power in good sleep, good nutrition and exercise. And I'm not saying that that's going to cure TBI, blast injury or PTSD, but generally providing someone with the ability to take good quality care of themselves so that they can take the steps to try to to get their mind and heart a little better. I think you're onto something here, but it's it's complicated and it's going to be hard. You know, culture shifts 
take time. Oh yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think I'm changing the military. I I'm, I, I'm not even trying to do that. But what I, what I am trying to do is advocate for the loved one and the active duty person so that we can all kind of stand up and say, okay, I, I'm responsible for myself and I need to take the steps for what I need to do to be like the best version of myself. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is you serve 20 years and you retire. I mean, obviously some people go on to 30 years, but there's no assuming life expectancy. What's the average life expectancy right now? I don't even know. 75. So, okay. So let's say you live to be 75. You're not active duty military at 75. Hopefully you're enjoying retirement on a golf course or whatever your dream is. And so you're still going to be left with the person you married, the children you had, the home you owned, whatever your American dream is. And we need to allow those people to recognize I served in the military honorably. I fought for this country, which is wonderful. And I need to best take care of myself moving forward mentally, emotionally, and spiritually so that I can continue to live in this great country and and be proud. So yeah, mental health is a huge priority. I think you're absolutely right, Sarah. I think this is a cultural thing. And I think this doesn't work without other people, right? This is not done in isolation. Your message being pinpointed to the spouse and the first responders is, is I think, the best place to to start because they are very, you know, ears are open. They are very interested in, in how do, how do I take care of my person? That's their number one priority, but there's different cultures here, right? There's the, the military family culture. There's the military, like you said, is going to be the hardest, I think, to change. And then there's, then there's everybody else, right? And, and I think that, you know, that's going to also be difficult, but we can start by having these conversations with people and saying, when these people are retiring or needing to take a break when they come back from deployments, we need other people to pick up the slack here and yet not do it in a way where, you know, this kind of warrior class doesn't feel respected. You know, it's what, you know, Sebastian Younger talks about in tribe, you know, the, you know, having the warriors go out and when they're not fighting, they're actually doing purposeful, meaningful things within their community that are quieter but healing. This is, this is sort of the conversation we need to have to the general public is that there needs to be sort of this, like you said, this, Hey, we're going to take, we're going to take over here, you know, for you guys, you know, in some ways, but not in a way that's, that's leaving you feeling weak. We respect you. We thank you. And in a meaningful way. Right. And and like you said, asking them, asking them to talk about this and the education and then the, the work that you're doing is, is really, I mean, if as a, as a former military spouse, I, I would be all ears for this. I would be, as I was, you know, there were times I was worried about Jason and being at war and what was going to happen. And, and, you know, I felt like really alone in that. And that, that's something that I hear, when I hear you talking about this, I wonder if I know the spouses, you know, do have networks and do talk, but I'm curious within your experience, Sarah, if there's not something more that could be going on. I know it's probably tricky, but it's also important to say like, hey, I'm seeing this kind of this comparing notes of like what you said, like, you know, keeping track of the sleep or the, you know, other signs. Yeah. I mean, that's just talking about the general public first. 
I think that's why I wrote that wrote that stand down warfighter piece because I think now is the time. You know, our country has gone through a lot the last twenty years, and you know, quite a bit has happened in the last few weeks and months that make me really fear for the future of many military men and women are suffering because I think I think it's insult to injury or salt in the wound of what we've seen happen and them questioning, you know, their service and their dedication. And I think it's time that we we shift. We shift from no longer war overseas, but there's a war on the home front and the everyday common American can play a part and help a veteran too. And I really think it's a responsibility that's almost owed if you're a citizen. As far as spouses, that too is tricky because we we are our own breed, so to speak. And depending on what your significant other does in the military, you are kind of developed and, and molded into a certain way. And just like the guys that don't want to stand up and say, hey, I'm really having this problem. I mean, the wives or, or husbands don't want to be the person that waves the flag to their leadership on their spouse. Mm-hmm. But I think if we just look at it through a different lens, right? And, it, and it, once that shift starts to happen where we, where people are a little more ready to, to share their struggle and we start to recognize that this is way more widespread than people realize, then it's not a matter of us calling out ourselves to leadership, but more like, okay, here I am. Here's my situation. We're in it too. And I need some help. You know, because I only hear rumbling from, you know, my closest friends. And it's not like we really sit around and share stories about our husbands because that's just that's just not what we do. But, you know, things get mentioned from time to time and certain struggles. And then you start to you do start to realize there is an underbelly and it looks different from guy to guy, but it's a growing problem. Okay, so top, I don't know. You're wanting to fix, aren't you, Jason? Well, you know, I'm, I think that this is to take it back, uh, to back a step then. I mean, I think there's a, there's an enormous balancing act here between, Hey, you know, we need to honor these warriors and let them come home and, you know, smoke the peace pipe and sit around the fire and, and, and have those kinds of things. I just, I, I know how it works in a lot of different infantry units and special forces, whatever. And the guys that get really good at this, they just want more. And you get a new commander and the commander comes in and the commander's job is to win. And so what do you want to do? You want to go with the guy that's been in the most games, that's won the most games before. Of course you want to do that. And so you've got this, how do, how do we take it almost from a top-down approach to a peer-to-peer approach? And, and this is what I feel like a lot of people have been getting at for a long time this, hey, call your buddy, you know, battle buddy checks and and all these kinds of things. We just don't really have a great way to institutionalize it, or we don't have a great way to kind of systematize it or these big kind of, you know, convoluted words, right? But what we're really getting at is how do we make it okay to take care of each other? And, you know, even as I say that, I'm like, God, I can't, I could not go into my team room and say something like that. It just would not be okay. 
you know, but here I am, you know, now I'm the, the guy that, you know, used to do that kind of stuff. And I'm now sort of advocating for these things that I never would have said or done inside the team room because you're supposed to be invincible, of course. Right. Yeah. So how, so how do we do that? And, you know, I will say I have seen more of this going on. I've seen a lot of it going on since your episode on Jocko dropped. I've been a part of, of several of those conversations. And I think there's some element that, look, this has to exist in the shadows. This idea that people can just come forward and they're in positions of leadership and then everything's going to be okay and everyone's going to be able to come forward and say, hey, I'm having some problems too. I just, I don't think that's reality. I think this peer-to-peer, person-to-person, direct one person to another person. And that can start with the spouse. That can start with your best friend. That can start with someone that you swear to secrecy, whatever that might be. But confiding something that is eating up a lot of your mental bandwidth, right? And if you are in a position that Chad was in, that several of my friends have, have been in, if you're in that position, there is an enormous amount of power in, in sharing that and in entrusting it to somebody else. So choose wisely who you do that with or to, of course. But I think that, that that's the change that I see really happening. And, and of course, you know, there's the larger messaging that, that you're at the, the forefront of as far as societal change, which we're right there with you. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are listening to Jocko's interview or, or to this or just in general you're thinking, how can I, how can I take this on? I think that sharing something with one person is infinitely more than sharing it with zero. And, and I think that that's a, an enormous step forward that I, I hope more people feel that they can take. And that's kind of the, the small victories and you'll never know all of them, but those are, that's, that's what I'm hoping for is that more of those can happen. And then that becomes more of a collective way to change the number than in, in some kind of, Hey, the military is going to change, which I know you don't think it's going to either, or these other kind of broad sweeping things. It's just, if you're in a bad place, talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be in a, in a shrink's office with the waterfall in the background. It doesn't have to be all these ways that are really scary. It can be in ways that are as comfortable as you want to make it or can make it, but it's still uncomfortable. There's nothing fun about going to anybody and saying, hey, I'm really in a bad place and I'm, I'm thinking about committing suicide. That's a really, that, that's not something that anybody is looking forward to doing. Yeah. I mean, agree on all that. It's, I want more people to talk about it. I know I have a close friend back home in Virginia Beach and he has openly shared his struggle with me. He's since gone on to receive treatment. And he's in a pretty good place right now. And he has said, too, that he reaches out to guys and tries to get them to talk. And one in particular, you know, the first time he approached him, he was pretty quiet and shut down. Second time he approached him, he was quiet and shut down. But he said, you know, I talked to him a third time and I could tell he was starting to open up a little bit more. And so it might take that. It might take the person to reach out more than once and maybe more than twice. And you know, just kind of be the consistent squeaky wheel. That's a little bit like, I, I got my eye on you. I'm watching you and I'm here when you want to share. Yeah. So, so let's, let's kind of transition to Chad 1000 X and our, you know, that's the big workout in honor of your husband. And 
how are we looking at this and how does, I mean, I got my thoughts, but I, you're, you're here and this is, this is yours. So let's hear from you. Why do we do this and how is it going to help change the number? Yeah, this kind of grew, it grew actually really organically, but Chad 1000X is the workout named after Chad. A thousand step up with a 45 pound pack or ruck on a 20 inch box. So we have a variety of scales. We have slick, standard, and expert. Expert is how I just listed. Standard, you can scale perhaps the weight or the box and slick, just go completely unweighted. Uh, Chad did this workout as he prepped for mountains that he was going to go climb and he would do it in our garage with the door closed and he took a projector and he projected Aconcagua on the back of our garage door. That was the mountain he was training for. So he he had stealthy focus. It organically became a workout after I spoke at his memorial. But what I think is almost poetically beautiful about it is it's just a long, hard grind. It's not impossible. It's not technical. It's just you have to keep stepping up and you have to keep stepping down. You have to keep moving. And it takes a while, you know, most people over an hour. And I think it's a really, there's some symbolism there, right? With this workout with people who might be struggling mentally and emotionally, our veterans, as a reminder to just, just keep stepping up, just keep stepping up. And when I say step up, I mean that metaphorically too, like step up and reach out to your friends, step up and talk with someone. And we did this workout last year. We had a great response. And as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I had numerous people come up to me at the live event and share their struggle right there on site. They pulled me to the side and they said, hey, I really, I really need to tell you this. I want to share this with you. And and used the word earlier burden, but I don't, I don't see it as a burden. I see it as just the result of me being someone who's come forward and spoke out, it's just kind of put me in a space people feel comfortable reaching out to me. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I, I put myself in that position and I, I own it. And I, I will do my best to not leave anybody behind that reaches out. So the Chad 1000X is a bigger push this year. We saw it go global. And I would love for that to happen again. People all over the world banded together and they did it in their in their gyms. They did it in their driveways. And we saw people doing it at on park benches, stepping up. I got videos of veterans with, you know, double amputees, you know, two prosthetic legs doing step ups. And it was it was a astounding the rate at which people came in to do this workout. And then I had gym owners contacting me saying people in their gym came forward and shared that they had a struggle. And maybe that gym is one of the greatest outlets for them. And so they keep going. I mean, it's been, it's been amazing. And so we want to continue that this year. We want more people to do the workout, earn your Chad 1000X patch and come to our live events. We're going to have large scale live events in multiple cities. So if you're in San Diego, if you're in Virginia Beach, if you're in New York City, if you're in Jacksonville, Florida or Fort Pierce, Florida, there are larger scale chad events going down in those cities so you can do it with a larger group if you don't want to do the thousand step up the even better option is to do it with a friend because here we are having a long conversation about trying to reach out to someone and share your struggle well share the struggle of the workout together too that's the goal sarah we have a someone that we know here locally who 
they're married to a, a retired police officer. And she came to me and said, I'm not really in shape to do this thousand step ups, but I've recruited my sister and a friend and we're going to split it up and do it together. And, you know, and then she, of course, that conversation led into some other things and some other struggles that she's had or shared from from her husband's line of work and, and even her own. And, you know, that's that's sort of the conversation starter. So I, I agree. I think this this workout is for anyone and everyone. And there is a poetic aspect to it and the fact that it's not technical and and that you can talk to people <laughs> in the lead up and somewhat during during it to, about these sort of things that we're talking about. Yeah, I like that you said somewhat during because after about 300 or 400 people stop talking. <laughs> yeah, everyone stops so talking after on, that. <laughs> yeah, so look on the website and do the training plans to prep for this because it's a lot. And so we want to be able to raise money so that that money can go to programs that provide actionable support for veterans. That's the goal. Okay, so one more question about the, the actual kind of workout or the live events or how people can do this is... You, the word community gets thrown about a lot. Everyone wants to attach it onto everything. And to me, it's it's something that exists in the real world and it's person to person and you're there with somebody else. And that's kind of how we encourage people to do the Chad 1000X workout. And these live events are great for kind of putting that on the bigger live events, fuller display. What do you think about when you think about, you know, the role of community or people getting together and how that helps change the number. And I keep saying change the number because that's our that's our goal here. And so what's the role of this real world community come together and do this thing together? What's your take? Well, we our world is so isolated, really. I mean, the population is growing faster than ever, and yet we're all so alone on our devices and, and just isolated. So... The fact that people can come together to an event and do the workout, I mean, it's a way for you, the person participating, kind of outwardly saying, I support this. I support our veterans. I believe in them. I honor their struggle. I want to be a voice for change. I'm here for you. Even if they don't say any of those words, by showing up and completing the workout, it's essentially what they're saying, in my opinion. And the more we can get people to participate, what a bigger visual that sends to our veterans that people really do care and that they really do matter. I say it a lot. You know, I mean, everybody needs somebody. They just do. And it, Emily, you mentioned Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, earlier. People have not read that book. They seriously need to. And he speaks to this, that we are built to be members of a tribe. And you can define it whichever way you want. For some people, they're in the military. For some people, you know, college kids join sororities or fraternities. Military spouses band together. And so what we see now in like a world of fitness and exercise is that people bond through community over, over doing workouts like this together. Community goes both ways. When you're a part of something, that, that word, quote, community, you get something from that community, but you also give something in return. And maybe you weigh one side more than the other. So being a part of this workout and showing up, it's a great way for people to, to show veterans they're seen and they're heard and create a space for them to talk and normalize this. Ultimately, the more we could normalize 
the struggle, the more people could reach out and hopefully the less lives are taken. We can be way more proactive instead of reactive. And yet there's some, there's some part where what I believe is, is that when, no matter what position you're in, if you show up and you were in Virginia beach last year, which was just amazing, right? And you do this, you, you do this workout, you will get more out of showing up and being a part of it than you can possibly give. No matter where life sits, you'll get more out of it. And the other part is if, I, I believe that if you pay more forward, you will get more back. And then it, it's, it's impossible to kind of catch up. And that's a really productive life. But sometimes you've got you've to kind of take some of the energy out of being a part of something bigger than yourself, regardless of this mental pressure. Do I have to give more than, it doesn't have to be so complicated. It's like, just show up and do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, let's be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, honor the veterans, show our respect and our appreciation, but we're going to get more out of it as well. Not just health, not just physical health or mental health, but also social health. And I think that there's, there's an enormous value that, that we get out of, out of doing these kinds of hard things together, especially when they're imbued with so much meaning as, as this one is. So we're really looking forward to it here in Jacksonville. I know you're in Fort Pierce and Virginia beach and San Diego. And, and there's going to be a lot of people that take this up wherever they are. The encouragement is find somebody else to do it with, right? And when you're done, if you want to, you want to drink an ice cold Coors Light, which is my Veterans Day tradition because that was Chad's favorite beer. It's like Chad and in, in in an ice cold Coors Light when I'm done with it is it's on my calendar and it's my way to kind of honor not only Chad, but, but so many more who have, who have made that decision. And it's not an easy thing for anybody. But I, I think that it's, it's a lot better than what ignoring it or, you know, hoping that it goes away. And, and I get a lot more out of be, being a part of this with, with you and with M and with, you know, our team, Jimmy and Steven and, and so many people here that are helping us uh, fight the good fight and, and helping you carry the flag, Sarah, which is, which is a real honor for us to do. Well, I appreciate your support, you guys. I mean, you have been so instrumental in this and, I just, I value you so much. So, so much. Thank you. Well, thanks. Um, it's always an honor to get to, to chat with you. You know, it, it's fun. You're, you're just kind of fun to hang out with, you know, whether we're, you're in town and we're racing around in a Jeep with no top and it's raining, but it's an honor <laughs> to get to talk to you like this because I know that you are becoming to, to me and, and to, to us uh, a real thought leader and, and a force for good and a force for change. All those things that you're trying to do, we're watching you do them. And we're, we're proud and honored to support you in that journey. And, and so it's an honor to get to spend a little bit of time with you on, on this front. And we're excited to kind of keep that going over time. Yeah, Sarah, it, it really meant a lot to hear you say that you chose to, to put yourself out there. Because sometimes I think, gosh, it must be so hard for her to you know, respond to all these, how could I help her? You know, how can I do this? But it's also, this is, this is something that you've, like you said, you, you signed up for and that you're, you're going to see through and, and I admire you for it and still want to help you <laughs> any, any way we can. And we know a lot of other people out there that do too. We have a lot of great partners that are supporting Chad 1000X and, and, and you, Sarah, in, in getting this message out. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. It's not easy. It is hard. Um, there's definitely some hard, hard times, but 
but I, I don't back down and I, I'm on this path and I'm in it and I'm, I am 100% in it and I'm okay with that. So thank you. All right. To everyone else out there listening, thanks so much for, for listening. Your call to action is to do the training plan before you do the workout, recruit some friends, you know, throw some step-ups before a workout, a buy-in, throw some step-ups during a workout, integration, throw some step-ups in after the workout, cash out, right? I mean, figure out a way to get some of them in, do the workout, bring some friends along, bring some people that you don't know as well along, invite them, right? You never know who, who you might save just by inviting someone to come out and, and be a part of an event in your driveway or, or in a parking lot somewhere or whatever, who knows? So, and if you're, you're at one of the five cities that we're, we're hosting a live event, you can find that on the chad1000x.com website and you can sign up. There's going to be, in addition to the chad1000x patch t-shirt that you get with your donation, it, there's a commemorative um, special patch with those cities' names on it that we're going to be handing out in person to all the people that show up there. So we're looking forward to, those are first live events this year. This is new this year. So we're excited for it. Yeah. So- plan on doing it and then do it. We're not, we're not a people that try to do stuff. We do stuff. So train up for it, do it. It means a lot more than just 54 minutes or 60 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes, whatever. It, it goes a lot further. I've thought a lot about this throughout the year. It's something that in order to honor what it means, it's, it becomes part of my train up. And we do this at the park by, by our house when I go do it, I mean, shoot, Sarah, you know, I, I share the same deal with M where it's like, man, I don't want to bother her sometimes, but it's like, you know, fuck it. Almost every weekend we're out there stepping up on the things. Like we'll send you a note, like, <laughs> Hey, we're training up yeah. some more. And, yeah. Veterans Day <laughs> we're ready. And, and that's just part of our routine now. And, you know, we think about you often when we're, when we're doing that. And, you know, we think about how you're, you're carrying that torch forward. So thanks for coming on. And, uh, if you're out there, it's your turn to, to participate and, and to honor as well. So sign up, show up, do the work, bring some friends and thank you. Thank you.